Well, good morning again. This morning as we, uh, we begin in this season of Lent, Lent is of the 40 days plus Sundays uh, before Easter. Now, some of you, you've been like, you're like me, you've been Methodist your whole life, you're used to seeing the purple paraments and the, the six Sundays before uh, Easter. I know some of you, though, you're, you're not originally from the United Methodist tradition, or you're new to church, you're new to our church, and you're kind of wondering what all this is about. You know, Lent is, uh, Lent is, Lent and Advent are both important seasons because they pair with the two great holidays of the year, right? Christmas and Easter. And so a long time ago, the early church, almost 2,000 years ago, they said those days are so big and what they mean is so amazing that we cannot simply just take one day and it's done. We need to prepare our hearts uh, for those major holidays. And so the church devised the season before Christmas of Advent and the season before Easter of Lent. And so in these 40 days plus six Sundays, we're going to prepare ourselves spiritually uh, for what it means to follow the risen Christ. And as Scott and I uh, prepared this sermon series, uh, Scott cast the vision that this Lent, as a church family, we are going on a journey. Now we did all of this before today's announcement was made. But we're going on a journey. Uh, a journey, uh, you know, a journey, though, is somewhat different than a trip. Do you, have you ever been on a trip and been on a journey? Now, trips, you tend to bring your bags and you pack what you're going to need and you know where you're going to go. I know some of you, when you plan, you're so planned that you know which Cracker Barrel you're going to hit up the dinner of the sixth night. Some of you right now, you're looking at your spouse and you're like, that's you. And... and uh, but a journey is different. You know, a journey, a journey sometimes when we head out, we don't exactly know where we're going. You know, Jesus said to the disciples, when they go on a journey, he didn't say, pack a bunch of bags. He said, take the clothes you're wearing and a staff. Now, those of you who grew up in the country know this isn't actually a walking staff. Uh, this is a tomato steak but it's what I could find today in church, so there you go. But this is our staff to say we're heading out on a journey. We're going on a journey, as you know, as a church right now. But also this Lent, I want to invite each one of you to be on a journey to what does it mean to grow closer to God? What does it mean to open our hearts to what God is doing and you know, we, when we thought, when Scott and I talked about this, we, we tried to say, what would be the first thing we need to talk about when we go on a journey, especially a spiritual journey? And the first thing we realized was to say, when you go on a journey, a real spiritual journey, you're going to be changed. So I want to talk about change this morning. We planned that before today's announcement, too. We're going to talk about change. And you know, the Bible talks a lot about change and about what, what kind of change God is going to bring and wants to bring in your life and in my life. So I invite you to go with me to Paul's letter to the Romans, to the 12th chapter. We're going to begin at the first verse. It's just two verses today. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Will you hear this, the word of God this morning for us? Paul says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. And now, Heavenly Father, we pray that as we open your holy word, that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Because if your Holy Spirit speaks, Lord, nothing else matters. But if your Holy Spirit does not speak, Lord, nothing else matters. And so speak to us, Lord, we pray, for we, your children, are listening. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our strength, and through Christ you are our salvation. Amen. Last Sunday, if you were here, and I know many of you were, we talked about in the, in the transfiguration story how it comes at a, a midpoint in Luke's gospel, that we're transitioning from one theme to another. And I reminded you, I invited you, that whenever you notice that there is a transition or a hinge point in a book of the Bible, you can fairly say that right at that moment, uh, God wants to speak something very important to you in his word. And today we begin with that word, that hinge point word, therefore. Now, some years ago I heard something that was kind of important, and I always remember He said, when you see, uh, someone told me, when you see the word therefore in the scripture, you ought to ask yourself, what is it there for? Okay, it's not that clever. I'll give you that. But but you'll remember it, won't you? Therefore. See, Paul is making a transition in the book of Romans. Uh, The book of Romans is written to people in times like ours. And that is to say they were in a church that was very divided. Now when we think of churches that are divided today, we might think, you know, churches divided between conservative and progressive, Republican and Democrat, blue-collar, white-collar, town and country, even by races. But in Paul's day, when he spoke to the Romans, there was one division that was over all of them, and that was the division between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Now, both believed in Jesus, uh, but the Jewish Christians said, well, you know, we're Jewish, and Jewish people, we're God's chosen people, so we're better than you Gentile Christians. And the Gentile Christians said, well, hey, we were specifically invited into the covenant. Uh, the Jewish, your people, they didn't accept Jesus. So we're better. And in the midst of all of this, Paul points us to something important theologically. He says, whether you're Jewish or Gentile doesn't matter. All of us stand in the need of the mercy of God. Without exception, You can't hide behind uh, who you are, what family you come from, your political preferences. You can't say, well, because I'm this, God accepts me. Because I'm this. There's, There's no external, no defining feature in your life and in my life that we bring ourselves that puts us more righteous with God. In fact, Paul tells us that the only way we can be made righteous is because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, Christ died for all people. 
And it was while we were sinners that the penalty he paid hanging on the cross was the penalty that we deserved. The pain that he suffered was the pain we ought to suffer. And he says, and Paul says, because of that, all people, no matter who you are, can come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and be forgiven of their sins, be made right with God the Father, and spend eternity with him. See, that's the message. We call that message the gospel. It means good news. And Paul then ends that with his mention in chapter 11 about the mercy of God, where he says, therefore God has consigned all to disobedience so that he might have mercy on all. And then he says, therefore, I beseech you, I beg you, I exhort you by the mercies of God that I've just talked about for 11 chapters. Because of those, I beg you, offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. See, that's at the very core of what it means to follow Jesus. We think, well, we, say, you know, we just need to believe. We need to believe, and, and that believing is important. And in fact, Paul says in Romans, if you, uh, believe, if you uh, believe in your heart and you proclaim with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But Paul says when it comes time to believing, it is more than something we think in our head. It is something we live with our lives. See, when Paul says living sacrifice, he, he is literally meaning a sacrifice that is alive. Now, I don't know if that would have made a lot of sense to the people in that world. You know, we don't live in a world of sacrifices, but the Romans did. And sacrifices, well, they usually didn't make it very far. And, but Paul says, hey, there has been a sacrifice. One has died. And so the sacrifice we make is not our death, but our life. And when he says present your bodies as a living sacrifice, what he is pushing back is this idea that the only thing that's spiritual is what's inside and that our body, our flesh, what we do isn't relevant. Paul says no, what you do in your life, inside and out, in your relationships, in your everyday life, that's what we offer to God, a living sacrifice. Now that's tough, I grant you. I once heard somebody say the problem with living sacrifices is they try to crawl off the altar. Have you ever experienced that in your life? You think you're there and then you find you're trying to crawl off the altar? Because you're like, I don't want to be involved with this. I want to do things my own way. And Paul says something about that. He says, so when you want to do things your own way, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We live in a culture, we live in a day where we think that the culture is perfectly neutral, that, well, if, if, as long as we don't do anything, we're not going to move one way or the other. We're going to just stay in the middle. But Paul reminds us of something that if we pay attention, we know that we live in a world that is trying to conform us to what it sees as right. And that comes from all kinds of angles. It comes in the TVs and movies that we watch. It comes what we see online. It comes in what media channels you watch. It comes from what news you consume. It comes from the commercials you see. It comes from all the messages around you. 
that say that reduce us to producers and consumers that put our political preferences as the most important thing And Paul says all those factors, all those forces that try to push you in a certain way to put any label, to put any distinction on you ahead of follower of Jesus, shun them. Do not be conformed to them. Do not go where the world wants you to go, but instead give your loyalty first to Jesus. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, that is what we're looking for. That is the change that God promises in our life. You see, the work of grace in our life is not just a work that says that we can be forgiven for our sins, though that would be enough. It is a work of grace that is at work to make a difference in our life here and now. It is a work that Paul says, when your mind is transformed, you will know the will of God. You will know what is good and perfect and pleasing. Transformation of your mind. You see, that's a matter of grace. That's a matter of grace. Many years ago, I read in a book something about grace that I have never forgotten. I don't know who wrote it, but he said this very simply Grace is the ability to change. Grace is the ability to change. So you and I tend to be forced into the ways of the world, into the ways of our, own, uh, of our own egos, but God comes and says, I can change you. I can make you more into the image of Jesus. And I won't do that by you working harder, but by you opening your heart to grace, to God's amazing, transforming grace. And so that sounds really good, I hope. But as Columbo said, but wait, there's more. One more thing, right? One more thing. One more thing. One more thing. That's the other guy who does the uh, infomercials, but wait, there's more. Columbo, one more thing. You know, with my sermons, it always sounds good, and I'm like, oh yeah, but one more thing. This is my struggle. Maybe it's not your struggle, but I bet it is. You're going to have to trust. You're going to have to trust. But because this world has made it so clear that the way things are, the way things always have to be. And so a lot of us, we look at the way things are in our lives right now, and we're like, you know, this is as good as it's going to get. At least the way we have things now is um, we, can con- we, we can control it, we can manage it. I don't know if any of you are at that point in your life where you're like, at least I can manage and control where I am right now. And Jesus said, and and Paul says, no, what you need to do is give up control. I don't like that. I don't like that. Those of you who know me best are laughing right now. You know it's true. Heidi knows it's true. I've already, she's looking back, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, something went out of control this morning. I wasn't happy. (laughs) And, uh, and she does a great job. She's just so wonderful uh, and puts up with this. Uh, thank you, Heidi. And, uh, it, and, and, and because I'm just like, it's got to be this way. But, but God says, you know what? When you go on a journey with me, 
You don't get to say what it's going to be like. You don't get to. But he promises us something better. I have a question. Would you be willing to trust if you knew the way it would be would be better than you could plan or control? Would you be willing? See, that's what Jesus promises us. He says, if you give yourself to me, this this life may not be easy, it may be difficult, but if you follow me, it'll be where I want you to go. See, that's what Pastor Scott has done. He did that when he moved to Kentucky 17 years ago to come to Asbury Seminary. And he's doing that today when he goes on the, he's he's gonna do that in June when he goes on the cabinet. You know, we have all do that. We all do that in different ways. We say, I don't know where I'm going, but Lord, if you lead me, I'd rather be there than be under my own control somewhere else. So you've got to trust. You've got to trust that that word, that, that God's word is true, that, that in fact you can in fact be renewed in your mind, and you may in fact discern what is the will of God. He promises us that if you'll trust him even though you don't know where you're going. Some of you might be familiar with the uh, monk Thomas Merton. If you haven't heard from him, he was one of the most famous people really in the last hundred years to live in this part of Kentucky. He lived about 40 miles west of here in, in Nelson County at a place called the Abbey of Gethsemane. You heard about that a lot. I know when Mike was, when we heard about that when Mike was here. And he lived there in seclusion most of his life. And I first heard about Thomas Merton when I lived in Louisville a decade ago, before I was a pastor. I remember there at 4th and Muhammad Ali Boulevard, which was three blocks from my office downtown, there was a plaque for him where, where he had this amazing transformation experience with God that changed his view of people and his view of God. And I think about what God did in his life where God took him places he didn't expect to go And this week I was thinking about a famous prayer that Thomas Merton wrote. And I want to commend that to you for you to hear that today. Maybe this is where you are right now. Merton said this, My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself, and the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. And so, are you ready for the journey? Are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to trust? Maybe my better question is, do you really have any other opportunities or alternatives? I think this is a message for people who know they need help. I think this is a message for people who realize they can't do it on their own and they need someone more powerful than them. 
And the good news this morning is that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who has overcome death and the grave and all the world can throw at him. And he invites you to have a personal relationship with him. He invites you to allow your spirit to be transformed and renewed by his spirit. And so my question this morning to you is, will you trust him and will you believe him? Will you trust him and will you believe him? You don't need any fancy words. You don't need to have a a big long prayer. All you need is the word, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I need you. They're simple, easy words. Maybe you want to say, Jesus, forgive me. Have mercy on me. Wherever you are this morning, he reaches out to you and says, do not be conformed to this world, but open your heart that you might be transformed, that that my life-giving grace may come into your life and transform you into my image, that you can know to have a personal relationship with me. That is such an important thing, and and I know there are so many of us here, and maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe this is the first time you've been in church in a while, but I just want to say to you, I hope you will not leave today without knowing the grace of God personally in your life. In a moment, we're going to have a moment where you can come and to this altar rail. If there are any of you who feel led this morning to come and to kneel here and pray for yourself, maybe for someone else, this altar is open for you. Maybe you need to just mouth a simple prayer right where you're sitting. You need to come to know Jesus. You need his grace. And the good news this morning is he says, come follow me. And we'll go on a great journey together. Amen. Let's pray.